grandparents can hold the extended family together. So what happens when the grandparents decide to call it quits? I'm Emily Morgan with Season 5 of The Grand Life. Some adult children are gutted when their parents get divorced. Others seem to handle the situation with less emotional scarring. Let's talk about how the actions and reactions of all parties can make a difficult circumstance just a little bit easier. I'm here with Carol Hughes and Bruce Fredenberg. Carol is a Ph.D. in clinical psychology, and Bruce is a California-licensed marriage and family therapist. And they are here today to talk with us about divorce, in particular when it happens to the older generation. They've written a book titled Home Will Never Be the Same Again, A Guide for the Adult Children of Gray Divorce. First of all, maybe talk about a little bit the term gray divorce and where that's come from. Um, Carol, do you want to start and Bruce can add in? Sure. Uh, actually, the term was coined in 2004 by the Association of Retired Persons. Uh, they wrote an article based on some research they did and they used the term gray divorce. And then in 2010, uh, the Bowling Green State University, one of their sociology departments, was doing research on the U.S. Census, and they discovered that between 1990 and 2010, 20 years worth, uh, the, the divorce rate for those people 50 years and older had doubled, wow. while all the other divorce rates in the U.S. were going down. And in 2012, they published this research and they titled it The Gray Divorce Revolution because it was so revolutionary. And then their further research applying their analytics uh, is predicting that by the year 2030, the rate of the divorce in the gray divorce population will triple. Oh, man, that's that's disturbing. Yes. Did that surprise you, Bruce, when you heard that information? Um, actually, it did. Um, and But once we really got you know, looking into it, in fact, the story of how this book uh, came to be is really Carol's story. We are the founders uh, or, or co-founders with some other people, family law attorneys and financial specialists and mental health professionals of Collaborative Divorce Solutions of Orange County. And we're part of a, a national and international group of people who work in uh, divorce processes to help people have more peaceful, more respectful divorce processes. And one of the attorneys we work with pointed out to Carol that adult children are major stakeholders in their parents' divorce, although, although they're, they're frequently overlooked. And so Carol wrote a blog article about this for our group. And, um, the way the internet works is things, you know, go everywhere in the internet. And yeah. some months later, a reporter for the New York Times uh, called her up and was doing a, an article on that subject and asked Carol for an interview. And, and so she interviewed her. And then um, Carol started getting calls from people all over the, the country, maybe even some other countries. And then some months later, a literary agent in New York uh, from one of the, for one of the big houses had read the article, being that it's the New York Times. Yeah. 
and called Carol up and said, you know, this really resonates with me. Would you be willing to write a book on it? And Carol and I have been friends for decades. And she said, hey, you know, would you like to do this book with me? And I naively said, sure, not knowing it would be a four-year project. Yeah. And so one of the things we discovered was the numbers are really big. Yeah. Uh, for example, in although it's a phenomena in the, the entire developed world, in the United States alone, uh, 300,000 couples, which translates out to 600,000 people, enter this uh, demographic every year. That's how many people are, di- are divorcing, 300,000 couples over 50. And it's rising. And each one of those couples has, on average, one to two children. So if you look at that, 300,000 couples equals 600,000 people plus their one to two children means 900,000 to 1.2 million Americans enter this demographic every year. And the ones who are hurting last year didn't have any help because nobody's really identifying what to do with it. It's an unserved population. And of course, this year and next year, there'll be more of the same. We're going to talk a little more about how uh, divorce affects adult children. But for right now, let's talk a little bit about the causes and why it's increasing. And then I kind of want to talk a little bit about COVID because I have a feeling that um, I, just even in my own household, this, is, this has been very hard. It's been very hard to just be the two of us um, kind of potting together and, and kind of mm-hmm. getting getting tired of each other. So I'm, I'm honest about this. This is hard. So let's talk about, first of all, the major causes. I mean, we're not all Bill and Melinda Gates, but that's been happening, right? right. So Carol, could you talk about that? Absolutely. Well, one reason uh, that we know from the research is that people are living longer and healthier in general because of better health care, people taking care of themselves better. And so many people who married in their 20s, 30s, even 40s uh, have been with each other 20, 30, 40 years, depending on when they married. And as you said, living day in and day out together, even without COVID, has been, uh, you know, people drift apart, they decide they have different interests, or they don't have much in common anymore. And then also commonly, you know, when they they go through the what we call the uh, empty nest stage, when the adult, when the children are gone away to college, whatever training, working, uh, they kind of look at each other and say, who are you? And do I still like you much less love you? So that's one reason. Another is that this, the research shows that more than half of the women in the United States uh, are uh, working uh, outside the home. And so there are economic reasons as well, because we know from talking to women and previous research that a lot of women stayed in marriages for financial reasons because they didn't feel they could support themselves and were dependent on their spouses. So that has leveled the playing field, so to speak, a little bit. And then also the values in the United States and around the industrialized world have changed. There was a study in 2001 that showed that about in the U.S., about 45% of Americans considered divorce okay, you know, ethically and morally mm-hmm. acceptable. And by 2014, that number had gone up to 69%. Oh, I can't even imagine what it is now. Exactly. And so the stigma 
attached to divorce has diminished. It's not gone, of course, but it has definitely diminished. So those are some of the reasons, some of the causes that that we know about from the research. You know, I, I've noticed even in media, like uh, television and, and even social media, mm-hmm. there's so much emphasis on do what makes you happy. If you're not happy, there's yes. a lot of that idea of kind of canceling a person if you don't, you know, it's like you don't yep. keep put negative people in your life. And so sometimes that includes your spouse. And so, you know, all yes. of those messages have become more and more prevalent as as time has gone on. You haven't been able to do the research, but with COVID, have you just an inkling that this is going to increase things even more? Uh, yes, we uh, just anecdotally, of course, but also what we've learned in our practice over time is that um, when, when couples are really busy, you know, if you're raising kids or building a career or things like that, mm-hmm. there's certain business conversations, family business conversations that, that take place. We, we don't find time a lot of time for the nurturing part, but there's certain conversations. And uh, I like to point out that the subject of those conversations is it's not likely to be, honey, what are we going to do with all this extra money? It's usually about things that need to be fixed or put on things. Even though you want the kids to have braces the, the same year you wanted to get a new car or, uh, you know, the roof needs fixing, but, you know, there's other stuff going on. There's something that was discovered um, at the University of Washington. Uh, One of the few things you can actually quantify to predict who's going to divorce is when the ratio of positive to negative interactions falls below five to one. Mm. And what that means is every time you have a negative interaction, and that can be just an angry thought about the person. It can be one of those business conversations where the last thing you've talked to them about was unpleasant. And so, at, you know, when you, at the beginning of a relationship, you think of the person with a longing when they're, they're not around. But if your last interactions have been unpleasant, you don't, you think of them with a wince. And, and it's easy to get out of that ratio. In fact, for a marriage, it should be closer to seven to one to work. And that's mm. been verified with functional MRI, so how the brain works. And so all the things are, are many of the things that we do to relieve that stress, like going out of the house, getting away from the person, going to a movie, going out to dinner, traveling, all those things have been taken away. So there's, you know, people have to work extra hard to keep nurturing. But the the business conversations are, you know, just the fact that I can't leave you, I'm stuck in the house. I, you know, I can't go see my, my kids or my grandkids or whatever. And so with those things all being taken away, and, and we know that people with problem drinking goes up during those times. And, and when people are on layer and layer of stress on the normal stress, just, you know, do, am I going to get sick going out or all that thing we all dealt with? We'd be very much surprised if it wasn't going up. And Carol did do some research because she's really good at that. And she's got some anecdotal statistics on that too. Yeah, Carol, do you want to add something in there? Sure, sure. Uh, So this is really interesting. From last year, the National Institute of Mental uh, Health started following statistics as early as March of last year, 2020, when the pandemic was really starting to get into full swing. Uh, They compared the statistics of the report of anxiety and divorce among adults uh, was already up 30%, and it has continued to climb throughout all these months. And recently, uh, the family court system in California reported that just in the last five months since September, 
backwards last five months mm -hmm. that the um, the filings in uh, the court system throughout California is significantly up. And, you know, that could be because we had uh, in the summer, California started opening up more and but the courts still were not open. So but people were filing, you know, online <laughs> and uh, there are other anecdotal stories like that throughout the U.S., New York, different uh, attorneys offices. Those are more anecdotal. And one thing that we know from research throughout the decades, that when people are together, like during holidays or summer vacations where the kids are home, there are more reports of domestic violence uh, just because if people don't know how to deal with each other, you know, that happens. Yeah. And and there were increased 911 calls uh, has been throughout uh, the COVID. So um, when that happens, people look at themselves and say, uh, as you said earlier, Emily, we want to be happy. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't I need some empowerment here. And with things opening up, people are more saying I I'm out of here. going to go into what your book talks a lot about, and that is how gray divorce affects adult children. You know, you think, oh, well, they're adult children. You know, it's, it's not a big deal. They're, they're already grown up. They don't have to worry about who's going to get them to a soccer game or what's going to happen. They're, they're fine. But that isn't actually true, according to your book. As I was reading it, I was like, hmm, that, that is very interesting. So let's talk a little bit about adult children. Carol, go ahead and start, and then we'll have Bruce add in. Okay. So the little bit of research that has been done on, on this population, uh, the adult children, uh, did find that over half of the adult children uh, reported negative experiences and feelings like depression, anxiety, feeling lonely, alone, not heard, invalidated by their friends, by their family members, and even the parents of those adult children in some of the research reported the same thing, that they noticed that with their adult children. Why does this happen? Yeah, what are they losing? I mean, what are adult children losing? Exactly. Well, adult children have uh, stages of development, just like minor children do. Uh, and even adults, 50, 60, 70 year olds, we all have different stages that we go through in life. And so the younger adult children, we call them emerging or emergent adult children, 18 to 25 or even 40. Some research has put those together. They're, they're just starting their adult career. And the younger ones that are in college or, you know, fresh out of high school, maybe doing some other kind of training or working, sometimes are still dependent financially in some ways and emotionally on their parents. And then now certainly with COVID hitting, we know a lot of college students move back home. And so that dependency, a lot of the parents don't even realize that that's an issue. Uh, and they just go blithely through their divorce, not even thinking, well, gosh, we might not be able to continue paying college or helping with the grandkids financially and don't even talk to their adult children about it. So there's a lot of stress that way. And that's some of what they're losing, as you ask. Then the middle aged adult children often have their own careers going. They've got, you know, from 40 on to 60 ish. Uh, they may have their own family, their own children. Uh, and we have what we call the sandwich generation in our field where their their parents are older. Some might even be infirm, you know, 70s, 80s, uh, and they feel obligated or loyal to help 
take care of their one or both parents, who's going to take care of them as they age further. Uh, sometimes the parents are so depressed or anxious going through divorce, they can't work. Uh, and that burden does start to fall on many of the adult children. And then they have their own children or their own relationships, their marriages, living together, whatever they are. And we see that not just us anecdotally, but in the research, that these, parents, these adult children start to question, many of them, their own relationships. You know, that saying, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Mm-hmm. They do start thinking, wait a second, maybe I'm not capable either of continuing a healthy relationship lifelong. Yeah. And, then, and then their older adult children too, and many times their parents were like in their 80s or even 90s. We had a colleague tell us a couple months ago that she had a 92-year-old man come into her office and was wanting to file for divorce, but he was rightly so concerned about how his 60-plus-year-old children would be affected. It's so interesting to me that this this foundation of a marriage for a family, um, no matter when it crumbles, starts to kind of deeply affect all of the people who are standing on it. Um, and it just, I mean, I guess it surprises me in some ways, but then in other ways I'm like, well, I guess that makes sense. And especially when we're talking about grandchildren. Um, and maybe you can speak to that a little bit. You, you mentioned to me uh, earlier that you were a grandparent. Um, so talk to me a little bit about grandchildren and how this affects grandchildren. Sure. That's a great question. This whole idea that, you know, the, the adults are grown up and they're taking care of their own life and and the legal system feeds that because, uh, if most people do what, uh, litigation and that what we sometimes refer to as combat divorce. And so they'll say, well, you know, what about the, my, my adult kids and the, uh, attorney will tell them, you don't have to worry about them. They're going to be fine. You know, the law doesn't have any concern because legally they don't. But if things come up like, um, oh, one parent is so hurt and so angry that they refuse to be in the same room. So they're not going to come to the grandchildren's birthday party or graduation or the wedding if the other person's going to be there. Okay, it's one thing if it's your own parent, you know, you're going to be, you know, but if it's your spouse's parent and they're causing that much trouble for your kids, well, pretty soon you're just not going to want them around. Or, or they may just take that and then that causes disruption in, in, in the adult child's uh, relationship. And so we will advise the parents if we get to talk to them or adult children. And we, we put a lot of information in each chapter on, on things people can do to to soften this, but get some help. Go a clergy person, a therapist. Um, don't make your children your confidant. Don't tell them about your sexual disappointments. Who wants to hear that from your, you know, about your parent, you know, and, yeah. and that changes the whole thing. If the parents lean on the kids too much, you know, there is that danger of losing contact with the grandchildren just because the other spouse wants to protect them. And then it turns out as, you know, maybe no surprise to you, uh, Emily, uh, being, uh, being a woman, but women tend to be the kinship keepers in our culture, maybe all cultures. So it's the father's relationship with the adult children that's actually most at risk. Because mm. if they go attach themselves to another family by remarrying or living with somebody, or it just be, you know, just too much 
trouble dealing with their hurt and their anger over time, they, it's harder for them to be relating. And then there's the other thing where people choose up sides in families. And then when they start choosing up sides, that makes it that much harder. One sibling may uh, identify more with one parent than the other or blame a parent. And then that interferes with their relationship with the grandparent. And then the parents have to deal with the total loss of the family and explaining to the children, why doesn't grandma love grandpa anymore? And, and then there's the, uh, if, if your home was the one where people came for the family celebrations, like these annual events that have Thanksgiving, Christmas, Hanukkah, uh, Yom Kippur, whatever the holidays yeah. are, 4th of July. Well, that's gone. And so nobody would be surprised if somebody died and somebody was shaken up by it. But when the death of your family, that they, people think you're just going to roll with it, that we started pointing out to the adult parents, you're an adult, it's your divorce, you're in a lot of pain. So we already know adults can feel pain. Why do you think your children aren't in pain just because they're adults? The complications of having um, so many different grandparents, like you get you get an ad adult child who's then introducing their children to grandparent one, grandparent two, grandparent three. I've talked to people who had like eight grandparents involved in their relationships. I how do you how do you navigate that? Do you have any advice? Absolutely. Bruce mentioned earlier the importance of relationships, and we have several chapters that deal, well, really deals with it throughout, but uh, that what we know from attachment theory research, which is the most research theory in our, in our field over 60 years worth, is that relationships, family relationships are for life. And you could be a step-parent, uh, a second or third marriage step parent. And a lot of times the kids, the grandchildren are really bonded to those people. Not always, but they can be. Mm -hmm. Or the adult children are really bonded to their father-in-law or their mother-in-law, even if it's a second marriage, because sometimes the adult children have been married and divorced more than once. The grandparents have been. And you're right, you could have eight or 10 sets of grandparents. So what we tell them is what I was just saying, relationships are forever. It doesn't have to be just the blood relatives. We know lots of research that the healthiest people, you mentioned happiness earlier, Harvard did a research project that's I think 80 something years old now called the happiness project. Mm -hmm. And what they discovered is that the happiest people are those who have the best relationships, period. And it can be step-parents, step-grandparents, step-grandchildren, blood, it doesn't matter. And so why not nourish ourselves with all these relationships rather than cut off family members even who may not be related by blood or they are related by blood because of a divorce? As you said, the foundation starts to crumble. It doesn't have to crumble, though. You know, if people focus on that relationships are who we are as human beings, we're wired for relationships. And if people can get that concept, we, we emphasize that over and over in our teachings and our talks and with our own clients, obviously, it's all about relationships. I loved also what Bruce was saying earlier about um, making sure that you have uh, professional help to navigate through what has to be done 
to uh, keep a family, you know, in a healthy, I don't know if you could say a happy divorce, can you, Bruce? But but at least, a, what do amicable. you call that? A, a yeah. yeah. Amicable divorce, yes. right, Bruce? Yes. And um, one of the things that we suggest to uh, the, the parents who are divorcing is you can be proactive. You can go to your own sibling, your own family of origin. And your siblings are your kids, aunts and uncles, or and your parents are the grandparents. And so families tend to choose up sides, you know, often for their own kin. And they could go to each one of their relatives and saying, I don't want my children to be involved in bash the other parent conversation. And uh, when sometimes people will say, well, how are you coming? You're still talking to that person. Well, in, in our opinion, it becomes a boundary issue. I mean, who has the right to tell somebody what type of relationship they can have with their own parent? Correct. Even their siblings shouldn't have assumed that right. So we tell people to go out and be proactive because eventually, again, you're going to be left with whatever you didn't shred or you did shred and you may have won some little battle. One of the attorneys we we work with uh, wrote an article and a chapter that really illustrates this. He had a a couple come in to him um, for a consultation. And in the course of it, the the wife said, well, I don't know why we're here. You know, he said he's going to get everything. I don't get anything. And so he asked the husband, is that right? And he said, yeah, I, you know, I, she'll, maybe she'll get her social security. She may have her car, but my attorney assures me it's all going to be mine. And he learned that the father had plans in his retirement of fishing with his 13 year old grandson. And so he asked the wife to leave the room and he said, let's talk about this a little bit. You know, I'm, you know, I would imagine if you if you take everything, probably your your kids are not going to want mom out in the street. So she's probably going to be living with one of them, maybe back and forth. So what do you think is going to happen one of those days you go over to pick up your grandson to go fishing and she answers the door? What kind of conversations do you think are going on in that family and how's that going to affect your relationship with your grandson? And the light went on. And so he started reevaluating. And then later on, they ended up making decisions that benefited the whole family because, you know, there's that linchpin with the connection with the grandchildren that can be very empowering if the, if the parents will and the grandparents will actually look at it. But if they get caught up in winning, you know, when your ultimate value is winning, all your other values get thrown overboard, including yeah. your care for the grandkids and, and the kids going forward. Yeah, you're saying great things. You've got boundaries, triangulation, winning, all of those things are important things to remember. And your book is so helpful, I think, in, um, I mean, it literally does give you advice on how to do that. So um, you can tell that both of you care and are anxious to help people through the book. And I'm so grateful for people like you who have done the studying and have worked with people enough so that, you know, you can help other people. And I'm sure that's what your goal was to start with. Absolutely was. Yeah. To heal and empower as many people as possible. And the more people we can reach to help them understand what an unserved population the adult children are and and to help the parents know how to get through this. As a lot of the things Bruce and I were both saying about focusing on the whole family, Mm -hmm. not just yourself going through a divorce. And it'll usually turn out a lot better if people remember that The most important, Bruce likes to say that the children are the true wealth of the family. It's not just the money, you know, and and the grandchildren are the true wealth as well. And so relationships, it's all about relationships. 
Carol and Bruce, thank you so much for joining us today. And we will have your book um, on our show notes for people to consult and look at and buy. And and I, I'm sure they'll be really interested in hearing more about this. So thank you so much for joining us on The Grand Life. In the next episode, we're going to sit down together, Michael and I, and we're going to chat a little bit about the way divorce happens with the older generation and and how it affects everybody. So we'll be doing that next week. And, you know, I did want to remind you that we have a partnership with Grand Magazine, and it is coming out with a new issue. And I'd really love for you to um, enjoy it as much as I do. So if you're interested, you can go to grandmagazine.com and you can sign up. It doesn't cost anything. It's a great resource. There's ideas for upcoming holiday celebrations and all sorts of fun things. So I also wanted to mention that uh, I do book reviews in there for upcoming releases of books through HarperCollins. Um, and you can get the scoop before those books even hit the shelf, and you might want to order those for your grandchildren. So take a look at that, grandmagazine.com, and you can uh, enjoy that magazine in the next few months. So it's wonderful having you back. It's wonderful to be back, and I hope you enjoy your new format. Remember, I always say, I may not be the best grandparent ever, but I do believe that being one is the best thing ever. I'm Emily Morgan, and thanks for joining us in living the grand life. Grand life.